Amen. Hey, God bless you this morning. Isn't it good to worship God? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, I think it is. I'm sure I'm not on my own. I've got some friends out there. I, I find it amazing that God allows us to have a voice, that he allows simple people like me to have an opportunity to share the word. I, I think it's cool to hear from man, but it's even better when you get a word directly from God. And in those moments that we just took, I pray that God spoke to you. I pray that God will continue to speak to you because a word from God is a word that we need. Amen? True? You're looking to God or you're looking to me? That's, that's a true question. Looking to God this morning, wanting to hear from him, aren't we? Which is pretty cool. I hope I've got some friends in the place. I haven't actually been here since December the 6th, which is crazy because it doesn't feel that long ago, yet, yet it kind of does. It's like we're end of February almost. It's the last Sunday in February. Who thinks that's kind of crazy? Uh, I think it's crazy. And, uh, but I'm blessed to be with you. I'm going to speak just a shorter message this morning, hopefully around 20 minutes to 25 minutes, but don't hold me accountable to that because sometimes I've got more to say than I realized I did. But I want to speak to you this morning about this idea of what it is to be on the journey of faith, really what it is to be a disciple or a follower of Christ, what it is to lay your life in his hands and to trust him completely with your life and to walk in a way and in a posture as a disciple, as a son and a daughter of the Most High God, what it looks like to walk in this journey of faith, this understanding that we have become disciples when we've given our life over to Jesus, when we've surrendered control of our life to him, we've actually become disciples and we enter this journey that moves us beyond salvation to a place of transformation. Now, our salvation experience is an amazing thing, is it not? It's incredible in that moment when you recognize your need for Jesus and you put your hands in the air and you surrender your life to him and you say, Lord, I want you to come be Lord of my life. I give my life over to you. Who can remember that moment? I don't know if you remember. Mine was a radical moment that I had with God. For some people, I was raised a Christian. I've always been a Christian, but there was some moment where you for yourself put a line in the sand and said, Lord, you are Lord of my life. And it's an incredible, incredible moment when we have it, this revelation and understanding that we were created for relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Who thinks it's incredible? The sense of freedom that comes over us, the feeling of God's deep love that surrounds us, the amazement at finding our place in his will is an incredible thing for people. And then comes this transition, as I've talked about in the journey, the realization that the decision to follow Jesus really is just the beginning there is a whole lot more in store for us. We move from salvation to change and transformation. At least that's the plan. That God doesn't leave us how he found us, but he takes us on a journey that leads us to a place of transformation. To experience true freedom is a journey of being set free. Who would love it if the moment you got saved, everything was sorted out? Imagine if that was the promise of the church. He gets saved, it's all going to be great. Life's going to be easy. No more struggle in life, but it's not the reality. Not every breakthrough happens when we get saved. Can I have my drink? I'm sorry, I should have. Oh, it's already been put there. This team's awesome. Well done. See, we have things like old mindsets that need to be broken. Things that have set themselves up to hold us captive that kind of need to shift and kind of need to change. It doesn't all happen at the point of salvation. It is a great moment. I'm not 
trying to belittle the moment of salvation because it's still for me the greatest memory I have since I've been alive is the moment I realized that God was real. He had a plan for my life and he loved me. But this is really important that we understand that our discipleship journey is a lifelong journey of transformation and change. Mindsets that set themselves up. I don't know, when I got saved, I still had some wrong mindsets. Anybody else? I've been saved a long time now, about 23 years. I've still got some wrong mindsets. Anyone else? Like it's a journey of change. Look at Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do we need to know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God in the days that we live? Do we need to know what God is up to? Do we need to have a relationship that trusts God completely right now in this place in history where we find ourselves? Absolutely, we do. But we need our minds and our mindsets to be renewed. We need our thought patterns transformed to align with the Word of God so we as followers of Jesus can know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of the Father. I need mine transformed. I need my thought patterns to align with the Word of God. I'm in a situation myself right now where I'm walking through a difficult period of time with my health. You probably heard that because it's what I shared last time I came here, but I can't just go off what I'm thinking and feeling. I have to align my thoughts with the Word of God and with what God has said for me. But change and transformation is the journey of life. It's not a one-time thing. It's, it's going to be a lifelong journey. Are you glad I came to tell you that today? It's a lifelong journey of change from the time you give your life to Christ to the time you go to be in heaven and eternity with Him. It'll be a journey of transformation. It's a faith journey. So as we continue in this journey, we begin to find ourselves within the purpose of God. It's pretty cool to discover through a relationship with the Holy Spirit that we have been gifted by God. Hey, how cool is that? That God has given every single one of us giftings, abilities. He's given us a personality. Who thinks that's pretty exciting? Some of our personalities are a little bit stranger than others like mine. But God has given us such a mix, gifts and personalities and talents and abilities And it's pretty awesome. And we get to discover our purpose in God through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. It's no longer our purpose found in what we do or what we have done or who we know. But our purpose to love God and be loved by Him and to make Him known to others. That's a pretty cool revelation when we get to that point. It's not about what I do. It's not about what I've even done. It's about knowing God and being known by Him And making him known to others is a pretty exciting journey. We discover we are sons and daughters and not slaves or orphans. That's a cool journey. And I put that in there because that's my own journey. And if I'm not aware of it, I can easily fall back into a slave mentality. But actually, I'm a son and you're a daughter. Sons and daughters, not orphans and slaves. That's our destiny in Christ. See, our identity begins to shift from my abilities, my appearance, how people see me, to who I truly am in Jesus Christ. And when you go on that journey, man, does it bring peace into your life. No longer do I care really how people see me, or I'm certainly not putting all my energy into how people see me, but I know who I truly am in Jesus Christ. Talk about having confidence. That'll give you 
a great level of confidence. It's an amazing journey. And discipleship is for our benefit. Did you hear that this morning? Discipleship is for our benefit. But here's what I've realized. It's our choice. See, it's my choice how much discipleship can actually go on in my life. What I mean by that is how much transformation God can really set about doing in my life comes down to my will and my decision. It comes down to like the song we sung, will I open my heart to you again? Will I allow God room in my life to bring the transformation? It's kind of my choice. I've got to continue to open my heart to change and transformation. And here's what I came to tell you this morning. It's because none of us are perfect yet. We're far from perfect. Is that not true? I'm so glad we have that in common, that that we need him because none of us are perfect. This year will be another year of change and growth if we will allow, continue to allow God room in our lives. 2019, I started this year with this prayer, God, have your way in me. It's not just a nice line out of a song. It can be, but it's more than that because that's a big prayer. That's a risky prayer. That has intimidation kind of attached to it. Well, God, flip, what does it mean if I if I say, have your way in my life, if I really truly open my heart up to you, well, what does that look like this year? But I know that that's God's heart for us all, that we would be people who would say, God, we, we want to go on this discipleship journey. We want to open our hearts to your transformation and to your change in our lives. We see this in, uh, in the Israelites in Numbers chapter 11. They are in the desert being led by Moses out of captivity, out of Egypt into or towards freedom and the promised land. And God has been providing for them along this journey. It's incredible to think that God was providing manna from heaven. He was providing for their need. It was like a coriander seed or a form of resin that they could make into into bread. And God was providing for his people in the lengthy journey that they were a part of. But these people wanted meat. I'm not happy with that provision that we're getting and this grumbling began to happen that we want meat we should have stayed in Egypt we shouldn't have left and followed Moses we're in this place where we're not happy with what God is giving us can you imagine this grumblings and rumblings of the people I'd like to eat some meat at least in captivity we got a little bit of meat but here we just get the same day after day and the place of captivity the place they had become what they knew It had become somewhat comfortable for them. Even the place of chains and bondage was a place that they'd become comfortable with and got to know. And it wasn't until a time of reflection that possibly the Israelites realized that. It's like, actually, now that we're kind of free, this journey we're on is is not what it was all cracked up to be. I'm not enjoying it the way I thought we would. We were slaves. We had to be put to work, but at least we got some meat to eat. But I'm kind of tired of this, and I don't think it's that different for us at times. See, transformation or discipleship, walking in God's will for our lives, finding freedom is not always easy. And the Israelites found this out in the journey to the promised land. We will find out in this journey to the promised land that it's not always easy, and it has difficulty with it. However, Notice in the story that God was with them and God was providing for them. He may not have provided them what they felt they wanted, but the point is God is the God of the journey and he was with them and God is with us. And in the midst of our journey, God promises to be with us 
And he promises to provide for us. It may not always look the way we want it to look, but the truth is that he's with us. Look at Numbers 11, verse 18 to 20. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, 10 or even 20 days, but for a whole month. I like this next bit. Until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Do you think it's about the meat? It's not really about the meat at all. It's about the rejection of God. God is with them and God is providing for them. And here we find these people caught up on the natural life. I'm just not getting what I want. Well, you're going to eat it till it comes out of your nostrils. He is the Lord of the journey, not just the beginning. But many want to stay kind of at that beginning point. Or we might change a little bit or we might journey a little bit. But we don't want to go much further. I'm at least saved. I'm at least going to heaven. Hey, that's true. That's awesome. But the journey of transformation and discipleship, maybe people feel that's not for them. Hey, it's actually for all of us. God loves us too much to leave us where we are. Even if you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years, God is not finished with you yet. Okay. Change is not easy. But God has a magnificent plan and purpose for each of us. I wonder if you believe that this morning. I wonder if you believe that God has a a great plan and a great purpose for your life. And it's found and it's discovered in the journey. A lot of people are waiting to hear from God. A lot of people are waiting for some massive moment in God for God to kind of reveal to me my purpose, my plan, what he's got for me. But you know what I've found? I've discovered the purpose of God unfolds as I just continue to faithfully walk with him and give him room in my life. And the next thing happens, and the next change comes, and it's not always easy, but God is in the midst of it. This morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew 7. I said I was going to be short, and I've already said a lot that I didn't plan to say. But anyway, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew 7. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and boy, it's quite some sermon. Uh, I don't really have time to do the whole thing justice this morning, so I'm just going to pick out a few things. And I want to pick up on Matthew 7, verse 7. But up to this point, the Sermon on the Mount has laid down things like righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, love, all the things that are expected as followers of Jesus. And when you read the list, it's like, man, that's quite a list for followers of Jesus to live up to. It also assures us such gifts when sought through prayer in three parts. The prayer is ask, seek, and knock. Stay with me. There's a key for this year for us as a church and for you as an individual is ask, seek, and knock. This is what it is to open our hearts up to God, is to come to him in prayer in the form of ask him, seek him with all your heart, and knock on the door of heaven. Listen to Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives, The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Righteousness, sincerity, listen to the list, humility, purity, and love, that's quite the list. And actually in our own strength and outside of Christ, it's impossible to live that kind of lifestyle 
at all. We already know we can't earn our righteousness, true? We can't earn it. It's already been purchased for us on the cross through the work of Jesus Christ. It's given to us by Jesus and it's lived out through prayer of, and uh, the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. This is a disciple. It's not Jesus demanding the impossible of his followers. Stay with me on this. But it is him providing the means for the impossible. Matthew 7 verse 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You can't do it in your own strength. This journey and this lifestyle and this way of living that will impact the world and impact people's lives and make a difference can't happen in our own strength. It can't happen by just good wishes or, or I hope that it'll work out. No, no, it's found when we ask God, when we seek and when we knock on the door of heaven, God brings the transformation. So here's a question for you this morning. What are you asking of God currently? What are you asking of God currently? What right now is your prayer in him? What is in your life that you are seeking from Christ? What would you bang down the door of heaven for this year to receive from God? Because our God gives good gifts to those who ask. When we are asking God for the right things with the right motives, we will see answered prayer. The kind of prayer is to do with our faith journey. The kind of prayer I'm speaking about is this faith journey, our discipleship, our, our transformation. It's much more to do with who we're becoming more than it is to do with I need a new car. Are you hearing me? I don't know what your prayer life looks like. But a lot of time our prayers are around what we need externally. God, I need this provision. God, it would make it easier if you would do this for me or that for me. And I wonder how much of our prayer is about transformation in our lives. How many times we spend in prayer saying, God, I recognize brokenness and shortcomings in my life. And here I am before you asking that you will transform me from the inside out. But that's the context of the scripture. And there's nothing wrong with asking for a new car. Please don't get me wrong. But our desire as disciples should be to be transformed from the inside out. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. As we progress through Matthew 7, we see there are two gates. I'm sorry, I just have to do this briefly. Two roads to be traveled, the wide road and the narrow road, the wide gate and the narrow gate. There are two trees relating to true and false prophets. Now that's interesting because from a distance, a poisonous berry on a thorn bush can look like a grape. Or thistles from a distance can be mistaken for flowers. Understanding that it's by someone's fruit that you will know them, not by what you see or hear from a distance. It's from knowing somebody. It's from proximity to somebody. It's from a close relationship with somebody that you'll see the fruit in their life. And it's by the fruit that you will know them, not from what you see or hear from a distance. And it's this next bit that I want us to kind of take a deeper look at this morning. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. This is a sobering passage of Scripture. When I read this late last year, it challenged me a lot, but it's going to bring the context to everything I've said preceding this. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. No room for interpretation. I'll tell them plain. No room for argument or discussion. I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I don't know who else that's sobering for this morning, but it certainly is for me because this passage highlights that our discipleship is more about relationship with Jesus than it is about duty or what we do or what we achieve. It's more about my connection to Christ and my relationship with him. It's about intimacy with Jesus. That is what's central to any disciple's life. But we can get so caught up on the doing stuff, on the duty of things, on the process. I can get so caught up of being part of a a local church that I'm doing stuff, I'm turning up, I'm going home, I'm doing some good things. And if we're not careful in the midst of that, we can lose that place of intimacy with Jesus. And I felt as I started this year, God was saying, protect the place of intimacy. Protect the place of relationship. Don't get caught up in all the doing and all the great vision and all the great planning and all the great strategy and all the great stuff you've got and miss out on intimacy. Don't even get caught up on Matthew 28 without relationship with Jesus. Got to be intimacy with him. See, in this passage, I, I don't judge their claims as false, but rather their claims alone are insufficient. The fact that he never knew them for me shows close, how close you can come to spiritual reality and never know true relationship with Jesus. Judas Iscariot is proof of that very thing. See, it's good to again remember we began in relationship and that we need to have and remain in relationship with Jesus throughout this journey, not loose relationship or works-based servanthood. Please hear me because we can get caught in this because lots of good things to do and we should serve in church, we should serve in community and we, we should make a difference. There's lots of good things to do. But if we just get caught on the doing and not in the relationship, we're wasting our time. People will get blessed. That's, that's a good thing. But from our perspective, we can do all these things and somehow lose connection with the Savior. Hebrews 3.14 says, We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. It all started at the point of salvation in relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you remember it, but it was incredible as he revealed himself to us and the love of God came into our lives and our lives began to change. And this relationship with God was incredible. And the way we worshipped was amazing because we were so desperate for more of him because it was radical and it was incredible to encounter a loving God and a real God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how it should remain. We, We should never lose that. For some of us this year, we need to reconnect afresh with him as Savior and Lord of our lives. To remember this relationship is an everyday thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. Have I still got some friends? I wonder if I will at the end of this next bit. No, I'm just teasing. If you attend church on average, and the average statistic we're being told about church now is that people come twice a month to church. When our own statistics, as we look at church stats, it's not far off the reality of what we are seeing. Here's my point on this. Don't let your discipleship or your relationship with Christ become watered down to 26 times a year. That means you've come half the Sundays a year when it was designed to be 365 days a year. 
I felt that challenge and I feel that challenge. Like our discipleship journey, our intimacy with Christ, never meant to be a Sunday thing. It's never meant to be just when I'm in church. It's never meant to be a box in our life. It's never meant to be something I attend or something I go and do and maybe I go to a life group. It's meant to be every single day of the year. That's not to get into some workspace, religious way of living, but it's to know that God is with me and to acknowledge his presence with me each and every day. However you do that, be aware that God wants relationship with you before you set foot into what you're going to do for him. Let's finish here with this last passage in Matthew 7. I say finish, but it might be a long finish. There might be three finishes in the midst of it. Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here we see two builders. We've seen two gates, we've seen two roads, we've seen two trees. Here we see two builders and two buildings. In this passage, both buildings look secure in good weather. But in Palestine, though it's dry, it was known for its torrential rains that could turn dry and parched lands into raging torrents. Only storms could reveal the true quality of each building. Who knows storms can rise pretty quickly in our lives? Who knows they come up out of nowhere? You feel like you're almost constantly moving from one to the next one? I don't know. But the thought in this passage that we draw from the wise and the foolish builder. Firstly, the, the, the foolish builder. The, I call that the fear with a Christian. In other words, I'm happy when everything's going good. As long as life's going well, my church is serving my needs, things aren't too difficult, marriage is good, business is going all right, job's pretty good, then I'm okay. I'm kind of hanging in there and everything feels and looks the way it should. While there are no storms, it's pretty good. The problem is, the moment a storm comes, if we haven't built our lives on the rock and in a relationship with Jesus, and it's pretty fair weather, it's pretty shallow in the storms of life, it will be revealed. And it will topple over. But there's also the wise builder who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into action. Knows how to stand on the promises of God in the midst of the exact same trials, the exact same storms, the exact exact same difficulties. Know what it is to stand on the promises and the word of God. This represents someone who knows Christ intimately, not someone who has a knowledge about him, but has a relationship with him. And for me, I know this to be true in my own life. When I've walked through storms, it has tested the quality of my relationship with Jesus Christ. How much do I trust him? How much is he in control of my life? This year, I want to build the kind of life, and I pray you do too, as followers of Jesus, that follow after the wise master builder. When things go wrong, I'll put my trust in the hands of Jesus. I'll keep walking day after day in relationship with him. Now, I'm just going to just dive off that for a second. What does relationship with him look like daily for me? Look, it doesn't look like reading my Bible for an hour or up at 5 a.m. praying till 7. I know you probably wish that I was doing that because I'm the pastor, but I'm not. There are times in my life where there are protracted periods where I'll do something like that, when I'm walking through something, working through something with God. But a lot of the time, I just know God is with me during the day. 
I'll pick up my Bible when I can. I'll pray when I can. But there's nothing formulaic about it. Now, I read something in the morning and I pray in the morning, but I don't limit it to the morning. I'll do that throughout the day. And it's become a natural way of living with Christ. Otherwise, it can become formulaic and routine-based. And before long, it becomes this idea that it's kind of legalistic and I have to do it. No, you don't have to do it. Well, our relationship with Jesus means we want to do it. And there's a great big difference when it comes to that. I want to build a deeper, more intimate relationship with him that really makes this discipleship journey personal for me. I don't just want to be in a corporate gathering where I go along with the church and see cool things happening. I want discipleship and transformation to be very personal in my life. This morning, in a few moments, we're going to sing this song, Heart of God. My prayer is that this would just be a moment Will we just get a chance to say yes again to the journey of change and transformation? Recognizing that's a big prayer. But that's what this is about. It's about saying, God, come have your way in my life. God, I'm going to make room in my heart. Oh, I'm serious about this stuff because I don't want to just play around. I want to say, God, we want to do something significant for you. But but it comes out of relationship with you. Not this driven way of living or... You know, vision that's successful. and I know it sometimes oppresses people. But what impresses God is this intimate, close relationship with him day after day. And that's the kind of life that we want to build. And we want to embrace the promise that God is with us in the journey. That he promised to be. Like he was with the Israelites. It may not always be the way we want it to be. But God is with us. Our job, our desire is just to open our hearts, say yes to that, that change. The change is driven, by the way, by his kindness and his mercy, as the song sings about, not by his judgment. He's not changing because of, he's not changing you because of judgment of your life. He's changing you because of his kindness and his mercy and his love for you because he knows there is better in store for each one of us. The song just creates room for us, no matter where we're at, in a journey of faith to reconnect with him in a fresh way, to reconnect with him as our saviour, After the song, Julie is going to introduce communion, another moment, just to allow us an opportunity to connect with him, just to say yes to him, just to open our hearts afresh to him. Maybe it's tough today because right now you're in the midst of a storm. I don't know everybody's life. Or today you realize it's become more about the doing than it has about relationship. Or it's been only once a week on a Sunday that you've been connecting with Christ. Here's the awesome thing. We can reset at any moment. We can reset at any moment. We can make a choice at any moment, to say, God, I I open my heart to you. Whatever it is, I'm a firm believer that a sermon can only do so much. It's our response to the Lord that is the defining moment. That's why we want to create room at the end of a message. Because the message can be, well, it was was the right message. It was a challenging message. When When it makes a difference is when God's people respond to it. When we say, God, I've heard the word, I'm not only hearing the word, I'm allowing it to have act, be activated in my life through my own response. Let the next few moments, as the worship team comes back, let this be a heart response moment for you. Will you stand with me just as I pray? And then we're going to sing the song together. Lord, we just thank you for your kindness and your mercy. That leads us to repentance, as the song talks about. That moment of again turning back to you that leads us back to your heart. To that wonderful place of closeness with you. The way it was designed, the way that you created 
it to be. You created us for relationship. And Holy Spirit, as we sing this song today, would you just minister to each and every heart that is here? You being the only one who knows the state of each of our lives. Would you fill each one of us afresh with a sense of courage this year to just keep turning back to you, to be open to transformation, to the renewing of our minds through the reading of the word that aligns us with your truth. Lord, we commit ourselves to you afresh this year. We choose to put ourselves on the altar again as often as is needed. As often as we need to, we'll put ourselves in that place where we've turned back to you as disciples who are willing to walk into growth and change and transformation. And the cry of our heart is, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. As we sing and as we open our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? You know each of us. Would you touch every heart and every life? Would you bring that kindness and mercy? Will we remove that judgment today? In Jesus' name, let your kindness and your mercy rest on every heart, I pray. In Jesus' name. Let's sing together.